want to tell you about one of our partners, Quetzal Education Consulting. Quetzal Education Consulting is a queer, black, and indigenous women-owned firm offering anti-racist consulting, PD, coaching, keynotes, workshops, and more. Their newly released Abolitionist Teaching Workshop series coaches and prepares teachers to further develop abolitionist practices in the classroom. Find out why they have been called The Future of Educational Justice by Dr. Bettina Love. You can book a free consultation with Quetzal by calling 510-397-8011 or visiting quetzalec.com. That is Q-U-E-T-Z-A-L-E-C.com. And if you mention you heard about them through Two Dope Teachers, you will receive a 5% discount on their Abolitionist Teaching PD series. Once again, you can book them by visiting quetzalec.com on their Connect With Us page. So, Mr. Secretary, I have, I have a really important question for you in uh, warming up a little bit. What kind of student were you? Ooh, I was an inquisitive student. I was uh, a little bit of a class clown, you might say. <laughs> Making a bad choice with one of them, might as well just right. That's what that's what's up. Hey yo, live, live our best life. That's right. Speaking of, uh, well, we'll talk about that in a little bit. What's up? Welcome back to Two Dope Teachers and a Microphone. My name is Gerardo Munoz, and I am Kevin Adams, and we are coming at you from our homes. <laughs> yes. In the yes. 303. Are you, you're the 303, right? Or are you the? I am the 303. I'm the 303. Also, this is beautiful. Yes. Like, coming to you from the 303. If you are not in. Well, what am I talking about? I'm 720. <laughs> what am oh, I talking about? Now you perpetrating. I'm perpetrating. <laughs> I'm 720. <laughs> We're coming from the 303, the 720, the as as uh, as Bones Highland uh, would say, Mile High City. Yes. Um, yes. And uh, we, it's, it was a beautiful day today. So, um, so we are here. Um, if you're not familiar with our podcast, where you been? Yeah, what are you even doing with what your are you life? Doing? Do you even podcast, bro? Like you don't even podcast, Come on, bro. Get with it. Get with it. Um, nah, just kidding. If, you if you're no, new, we're glad you made it. We are. We're not. Gonna We've been waiting for you. We were. It took we you so were. long. In fact, the episode we're about to drop, we we refused to release it until you got here. Yeah, you showed up for the right one. So glad, so glad you're here. Um, listen, if this is the first time you've heard the podcast or heard of the podcast, we're not just a Twitter account that goes out of pocket sometimes. We are um, a podcast that remixes the conversation on race, power, and education. Uh, we try to stay dope with everything we have. If you want to follow us on social media, on all the platforms, we are at Two Dope Teachers. We even allegedly have a TikTok, but I don't know how to TikTok. But we've claimed the account, bro. There we go. That's what's up. If we ever want to do anything with it. That's a lot right now. Uh, um, yeah. I tried to make a TikTok recently. It's still it's still in production. This it's is in the queue. so wild to me, man. Like to me, I feel like Twitter is really the way to start, you know, on the social media. You just started with TikTok. <laughs> it's my daughter. My daughter oh. is like, here, check out a TikTok. And I was like, what is TikTok? <laughs> and then I've discovered it's like the ultimate time waster. Because yeah. it like starts to, like, the algorithm knows you. And so it yeah. pulls up the stuff that you like. Yeah. And before you know it, you're like, oh my God, an hour just went by. Yeah, no, Instagram's really similar because you would be happy to know that the For You Instagram page for Two Dope Teachers in a Mic is mainly NBA highlights, cat videos, and the odd like social justice posts. <laughs> <laughs> so, I love that. I love that. But I think that's how everybody's for you page. Everybody talks about, man, your for you page is so weird. I think everybody's for you page is probably weird. 
Yeah, I think that's probably true because everybody's weird. Like, yep, yep. You know, when we get like, down to it. <laughs> yeah, our uh, one of our colleagues is always sending me House of Highlights stuff, and so now like goofy high blooper highlights are finding my way. Thank you, Sam. Really appreciate you. For Shout that. out! Shout yeah. out! That's those um, are what real friends do. Send yeah. you things that make you laugh and smile that are completely silly and ridiculous. That's right. And you know what else real friends do? Real friends support their podcaster friends on Patreon. If you yes. want to support our work on Patreon for as little as $5 a month, you can hit up patreon.com slash two dope teachers um, at the $15 a month level. Kev, what do they get? They will get a sticker. They get a sticker. Yes. It's an they awesome get. sticker made by a local artist, Sham. Shout out to Sham. Sham. Shout out Sham. Sham out, shout. Sham. Sham. Yes. I need some of those stickers. Yeah. You know what's funny? So like I we like, why wouldn't Patreon just send us stick? Like I don't have one either. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we'll have to figure out a way to get that sticker. Um, so yeah, man. So it's about to be spring. Can you believe that? I I was looking at that on Sunday, right? Sunday the 20th is, Sunday? is yeah, the first day right. of spring. That sounds right. Oh man, the year has flown by. Really? Does, I don't, does it? You don't feel I don't, like that? I don't agree with that at all. <laughs> oh, I feel like it's gone very rapidly. Uh, but you're teaching AP, and we know that the AP. Yes. Oh, oh, is that is that? So you didn't tell me when I started teaching. You're like, okay, now you know the AP time warp <laughs> factor. No, yeah, I, which I, made I, made it made time in the fall seem slow. So, so here's, the challenge, here's the challenge. The challenge, like I wanted to tell you. But like, how do you tell somebody who's already got a lot of anxiety about teaching in class that, yeah, I mean, it's basically eight months of the ground rushing up at you. <laughs> wait, wait, oh no. But like, have you ever been going down the stairs and you underestimate how many stairs there are? And yes. Like that moment where you're like, yeah. <laughs> like that's kind of what AP is for about seven months. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. But you're holding it down, man. You're holding it down. You're I am away. trying. I, you guys, I will tell you, we, uh, I'll give, uh, we had a department meeting today oh, yes. and, and my colleagues who taught AP told me some stuff about just how, how I should approach your mindset to scores. Yeah. And it, and it gave me, it decreased my anxiety greatly. So I want to thank all of my colleagues who gave me that advice. And I just got to remember to lean on you guys and uh yeah and 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 the priority is that the kids are learning history yeah and that's and i think they're starting to understand and learn history and get a passion for it and yep. see how it shapes and influence the world we live in today yeah and with it without divulging the results of your full observation today um yes, yes. <laughs> that that's clear there's a, there's a level where students are getting it and you know it's 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 important and i, and I think the thing is that his like i used to always tell the kids you're not actually going to learn world history this year like there's too much yep. um and i've been teaching this for 12 years and I still learn new things. And so history's so wild. And, and like we were kind of all talking about, man, if your community is one that it's going to allow teachers to grow into the work, then you, you have to be able to defend that when it comes to scores, because do you just want the kids who are going to get fives, who are probably yep. going to get fives, even if they're yep. on board cut out of you? On That's right. That's or right. are you going to try to uh, stoke a fire for history? And I think, I think, I think everyone knows where this podcast falls on that debate. <laughs> yep. right. And uh, man, you're, you're a, an amazing teacher. You know how I know you're an amazing teacher? Oh, uh, what's that? So um, <laughs> you're, you're familiar with the Denver Nuggets, right? I, I am familiar with the Denver fans. Nuggets who defeated um, the Philadelphia 76ers last night. I can't remember who they were. Like, who, who were they even? That's who right. Even? And it was amazing. Um, so, so amazing because I, I, I relate so deeply to the Denver Nuggets because <laughs> the first quarter was a train wreck. Like <laughs> they were just getting blown away. People are stealing Jokic's passes. It was like really bad. And I remember just thinking about eight minutes into the game. I mean, do I really have to watch? I mean, it's, it's a, you know, and then they're down 19 at one point, which I think is when you tuned in, right? Yeah. Or no, I, I, I just picked up a couple of times cause I was doing something else. Oh, that's right. Few times I was, I was followed on my phone slightly. Yeah. 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 And, 
and then like they start coming back and it starts getting wild and um you know and and the denver nuggets won the game on some really weird stuff um but it's interesting i bring up the denver nuggets because they're they have a player who was the most valuable player last year. That's Nikola Jokic. You're familiar yes. with this, right? Yes. Yeah. I'm familiar. The Joker. Well, you have something in common with him, as I realize. Uh-huh. There, there's video. There's yes. evidence of this going all over the internet. Got like <laughs> 280 likes on our <laughs> Instagram page. Kevin Adams, my partner in crime, the Batman to my Robin, <laughs> the the um the the strawberry to my shortcake. <laughs> all um, right, all right now. Was the March? The March? The March Denver Nuggets most valuable teacher. Give it up. Oh, thank you. Thank you. No, so that's how I know you're a good teacher. Man, tell me about that. Was that dope? Oh man, I so <laughs> like I just want to point out the in the video you laughed the whole time. <laughs> I know, I know. It was so weird. It was it was very weird. You know, I I I was I knew they were coming. I knew they were coming, and uh I wasn't planned up. Like out of all the days, you know me, I'm usually like very yeah. planned up. Oh, no, you're on it, you're on it. And I had my lesson planned. Yeah, I had to come in that morning and plan and really figure out what I was going to do. I knew they were coming. Yep. I knew like they had given me this time window. They had been yep. pushed back a week because I was out of town. Yep. And they like they kept having to, and then they were pushed back because of the way our schedule was. Oh, that's there right. was something else that happened funny. So, but it finally happened. And, uh, and so they came okay, so take in. us through it. Take us through it. So what so are you doing? At this I'm sitting point? there teaching. We're going over, you know, I think we're looking at a map. I think we're, we're analyzing maps, okay. uh, colonization, I think, or something. And uh, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, Irvin Johnson walks through <laughs> the door. Kevin, it, like, so, and if y'all don't know, Irvin Johnson is like seven foot two, seven eight. foot I think he's six nine, but I I, it was I've never been around somebody who oh, was yeah. like fifteen inches taller than me. Like all the kids, like in the picture, you can see the difference. Like I'd look like one of the kids, <laughs> and you're like a little bit taller than me, and so that, I know. that was, I was, like, was like, oh my god, <laughs> looking up to him, you know, oh man, what's up? It was so cool, you know. So he, he came in me- and he said. He get, Kevin Adams, we're here. I just want to let you know that you are the Denver Nuggets. Uh, let your students know that you are the Denver Nuggets, most valuable teacher of the month of March. Right? Give it up for them. The kids gave you some love. Like, and then they were like, oh, but, but, but I'm not the only one here. We also got Rocky. And Rocky, the music you hear in the hallway, Rocky yeah. comes oh, through. Man. What was the Rock. music? What what music did he end? It was like, you know, it was like Rocky music, uh, like you know, the official Rocky music. You know? Yeah, y'all ready for this? <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> like it was party time, man. <laughs> and and so Rocky came in, and and it was great to get the pictures with the kids. You know, we had time, and the kids were so shy. You know how my class can be. They can be real quiet and shy. And then they because <laughs> well, it's up. in the morning. Yep. Yeah, yeah. First thing. And then they warmed up and they were like, can I get a selfie with Rocky? Can I get a selfie? Can I do this? You know? Uh-huh. And so we got tons of great pictures. You know, you, you know, I get a great swag bag. <laughs> and uh, it was just, it was fantastic. Got to go to the game. Nuggets lost. Yeah, yeah. Nuggets oh, lost. And that was painful. That was to Oklahoma City. Oh, to OKC. It was like, uh, and, and the whole time, everybody's like, do you even know who plays for OKC? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> the best thing I heard um, about, oh, no, it wasn't about OKC. It was about when they played Portland. And you know how yeah. the, tra- the Blazers, like, traded everybody and Dame's out for the season and all yep. that and stuff. Yep. Um, Devalier Johnson from the DNVR podcast was talking about the Blazers. He was like, you know, the thing is, there are no millionaires on that team. <laughs> he ain't lying. The, and that Oklahoma lying. City team, I mean, you know, they, they're playing well. They, nobody needs my basketball analysis right now. But, like, yeah, that was, that was tough. That was, that was tough. That was tough. But, it was, but it was a fun night. Had some students in the house. Had some colleagues. It was a good night. 
That's dope. I wish I could have gone. I was suffering under the weight of graduate school. Yes, yes, yes. We understood. Man, I'm so happy for you, man. That's cool. Because Well, I, I appreciate it. And I'll just be honest. I wouldn't be there without you, brother, because you were my nominator. You, course, you, course. you, you gave me a glowing review. So uh, mad love. Thank you, I did, man. I just put facts on that form. I just put facts on that form. You know, but it was funny because I was sitting up there watching the game. You know, they have you waiting before they give you the novelty check at the game. Right. And she, oh, I don't know that because I got it during a pandemic. Oh, you. Oh, <laughs> man. Oh, man. So I got the novelty check and I'm sitting up there during the game, you know, watching the game and the game starts. And at the Denver Nuggets, nobody sits till we score. And so yeah. Emily, you know, the the host, who the person yeah, who's leading me up through, she's great. Shout out to Emily. Yeah. Um, she's like, are you really a Nuggets? I'm like, yeah, I'm really a Nuggets. Fan. I'm like, nobody sits. Stand up, Emily. Come on. We can't wait till we score. Yeah. No, I do that at home. Like, That's I do right. That at home. And right? I stand for the last 60 seconds. If yeah, it's you got to. You yeah. got to. You got to. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. No, that's amazing, man. No. And I think like it's one of those things where, you know, and it's a pretty competitive award from what I understand. Like there's a lot of people that get nominated. And sure. it just says a lot about like who you are and kind of what you bring, you know, into our teaching community, man. And, you know, I think, too, like I've been thinking about this a lot about how like I, I spent last I spent 2021 as Colorado Teacher of the Year and you know, there were two really beautiful things that came out of that. The first is that there are more people who actually listen when I talk now. And yes. so it's yes. like, oh, wow. That's um, a good thing. And so that gives a little bit of meaning. But second of all, like, I got to be in community with teachers across the state. And I realized how many amazing teachers there are across the state that don't ever get any acknowledgement. That's like, right. Like what if we what if we all just found like these awards and just nominated like the dope teachers we know, you know, for these recognitions? I just think it's like so meaningful. And um, and for you specifically to get honored, like I just think, you know, it's a long time coming, man. Like you've been you've been at this. You've been doing the work the right way. Um, you're committed, man, you, you are more committed than I am right now. I am like, I'm on fumes at this point. You got a lot going though. That's how I feel like anytime you are doing continuing ed while teaching, you, you can't, you cannot do both at, at a high level. And so I think, you know, especially if you've had some practice and some years behind you, you're like, I know. I know how to make the day work, you know, and not to say, and I know you always give yourself a hard time, but I know how powerful of a teacher you are. You still like, you better, (laughs) you better than most of these fools on the best day on your worst day. So I'll just, I'll just say that, you know, let the people know, you you know, thank you. No, yeah, it's, you know, it's one of those things. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that I'm going to have to make some decisions at some point about like, cause this is not like, this is like living like this is not sustainable. Like yeah. I can, I can tell when you can tell I'm in a bad mood cause it's just like, Oh, <laughs> <You're clear. Uh-oh. laughs> and I'm trying to like, I've, I've come to a place with my anger though, where like, I'm like, okay, there's a lot of things I'm angry about and frustrated with, but like, and, and I have a right to be angry and frustrated yep, about certain yep, things. Yep, yep, But also I need to find a way to not let it rob me of my joy because when, whenever I, whenever I drop that, that hostility, yep. <laughs> like I actually learn some pretty amazing things about people. And, um, you know, so I think, I think that it's, you know, I mean, shoot, it's anger management, right? Yes. At the end of the day. God's working on all of us. Brother. God's working on all of us, but yeah, man, congratulations. And, and you, you're so deserving and um, it's, it's dope, man. Um, and now we can both flex with our, you yes. know, with our banners. Uh, yes. I still got mine like up in the classroom. Your banner, yes. your banner is better than mine because it's signed and your plaque is bigger than mine. It's cool. Yeah, oh, man. See, I feel bad. No, feel don't bad. feel bad. No, because you know, as you were in my room, you saw that I outfitted my room real nice with that with that prize money. So yes, yes, sir. Yes, so. sir. Well, listen, That's- we we wanna um we wanna respect everybody's time. <laughs> <laughs> Buzzword bingo. You heard it, people. Market. Market. Use that one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Everybody heard that. They were like, oh. they're like what when since when (laughs) the new approach um so kev man we we just had like 
Uh, how would you how would you describe the fact that we had the guests that we're about to introduce to people? I mean, you know, um, well, I think he I'm going to quote him. Right. He, he, he did a little um, he did a little uh, ad lib at the end, a little adjustment, a remix of Biggie's line. It was all a dream. Yeah. I used to read Edwin magazine. <laughs> that was right. that was amazing. So spoiler yeah. You know, it, it was interesting. Um, this, I would say that I don't think that we've had a guest of this high profile ever. I, I think it's our highest. I yeah. think, and, and, and no disrespect, like we've had a lot of high profile guests. Yeah. But this, this dude is big, has a lot of power over the United States education agenda policy yep under the biden administration yep so folks we um are bringing to you in this uh fairly brief but we feel um you know uh profound interview with dr miguel cardona the secretary of education in the biden administration um wow Shout out to Jose Vilson for helping us broker this um, this thing. We see you. That's our brother over at Educolor. Uh, uh, Educolor is taking members, so y'all should y'all should you know sign up. It's good stuff. Um, we'll tell you a little bit about him, and then we'll get into this conversation. So, uh, Dr. Miguel Cardona was sworn in as the twelfth Secretary of Education. On March 2nd, 2021, Secretary Cardona previously served as the Commissioner of Education in Connecticut, a position he held after being appointed by Governor Ned Lamont in August 2019. In this position, he faced the unprecedented challenge of responding to, COVID to the COVID-19 pandemic, heard of that, and led the safe school reopening efforts in Connecticut. To do so, Secretary Cardona and his department provided school districts with a balance of guidance, local autonomy, and oversight needed to ensure equitable and meaningful educational opportunities while also prioritizing public health mitigation measures. Secretary Cardona and the state of Connecticut fo focused on equity by arranging for student access to technology to support remote learning, helping the state become the first in the nation to provide learning devices to fulfill the identified need for all students. Recognizing the increased importance of providing resources uh, for the social emotional health of students and staff, Secretary Cardona, Cardona and his team collaborated with the Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence and other stakeholders to provide free social and emotional learning courses. Secretary Cardona's approach to leadership in Connecticut focused on partnership within his education department between state agencies and with local boards, educator unions, so school administrators, associations, child advocates, and most importantly, students and family. He attributes his success in Connecticut in part to the strong backing of those partners, as well as the support from members of the Connecticut State Board of Education and his staff at the Connecticut State Department of Education. Under Secretary Cardona's oversight, despite the pandemic, Connecticut launched a statewide FAFSA data dashboard, procured a comprehensive statewide special education data system, CTSEDS, and announced the state's highest ever extended graduation rates for students with disabilities and English learners. Reached a new stipulated agreement in the landmark integration case, Chef versus O'Neill, established the first national requirement for high schools to provide courses on Black and Latino studies, and initiated uh, systemic improvement protocols that can reach every corner of the state. His focus on equity and excellence for all learners has driven his work at all levels. Secretary Cardona has two decades of experience as a public school educator from the city of Meridian. He began his career as an elementary teacher. Then he served as a school principal in Meridian in 2003, where he led a school with outstanding programming for three to five-year-olds, students that were bilingual and students with sensory exceptionalities. He proudly served in his role for 10 years, 
In 2012, Miguel won the 2012 National Distinguished Principal Award for the State of Connecticut and the Outstanding Administrator Award from UConn's NEAG School of Education. Secretary Cardona then transitioned to the lead work of performance and evaluation in the district. He then assumed the role of assistant superintendent for teaching and learning, overseeing teaching, learning, lead, and leadership alignment. The secretary has a fat biography. He's done all kinds of stuff. Um, a lifelong Meriden resident, Dr. Cardona attended Meriden Connecticut Public Schools. Uh, yeah, and graduated from Wilcox Technical High School. He attended CCSU for his bachelor's degree in Yukon, where he completed a master's in bilingual bicultural education, administrator preparation program, doctorate in education, and executive leadership program superintendent certificate. Secretary Cardona is very active in his community, serving on several nonpro nonprofit charitable organization boards of directors. He has had several articles published in AASPA Perspective, National School Boards Association, District Administration, and the Scholars Strategy Network. His greatest source of pride, however, is his family. Secretary Cardona and his beautiful wife, um, Marisa, are the proud parents of two children. And fun fact, I met him in D I met them in DC. It was cool. They're very nice. Our wives hit it off. Um, Shout out. You want to say a couple of things about this interview before we jump in, man? I mean, I, I, I'd rather let the interview speak for itself. I don't think we have to do any more to introduce the man, um, but let, let the people hear it. Let it soak in. Um, but there's some good, there's some good stuff, I think. Most definitely. Yeah. And we hope you enjoy this episode. Uh, share it. Uh, hold them accountable. Hold all our leaders accountable. I think that's what it really comes down to. And uh, here we go with Biden administration's secretary of education, Miguel Cardona. Well, we're going to, we're going to jump right in with a few questions. Uh, we want to give you a heads up that, you know, you want to have your musical like catalog in your mind to be mm. thinking about some of these things. That's a very important question. That's why we build up to it. Yes. Uh, but yeah. We're going to start you with this one. All right. Secretary Cardona, you are a teacher to your core. How did your path lead you to education? What in your culture, your community, your yeah. upbringing, your experiences made you decide that you wanted to be an educator? You know, at the end of the day, it's about serving others. Mm -hmm. I was raised in a family of hardworking parents who uh, they came here really young uh, from Puerto Rico and just made a home in, in my hometown. And I noticed early on as a young as a young boy that they spent a lot of their time serving the community, whether it was the church or just civic organizations and groups and just volunteering their time. And I knew I wanted to serve. Uh, so when, when I was in high school, I had a teacher tap me on the shoulder and said, you know, I think you'd make a good teacher. Would you ever consider that? Wow. And up to that point, I didn't. Um, yeah. I, I hadn't considered it. So it was really about service to the community. So then I became yeah. a teacher in the same community where I was raised, yeah. um, same, same school system. And for me, there was nothing better. I had no plans in leaving, um, yeah. you know, but uh, th then I continued. I actually, I stayed there for about 20 years and yeah. I ended up as assistant superintendent in the same district wow. uh, where I was raised. It's about service to the community, really. Yeah, that, that's such an incredible thing because, um, you know, we see so much, so much movement, especially now in the early 21st century. Yeah. When you think about where you came from, and now to sit in the, the seat that you're sitting in, um, what, what kind of goes through your mind on a daily basis, kind of recognizing like you, you're, you're this Boricua brother that came up, right? And, um, and you move through, you've done every job in, in, a, in a school, in an education system, and now you're here. You know, my, my stripes haven't changed. I'm the same person. Uh, I can still walk through that same neighborhood, talk to the same families. I feel just as at home as I feel more at home there than, you know, that, mm -hmm. that's who I am. Right. And um, I think part of the reason why I've been blessed to serve now as secretary of education is because I haven't changed my stripes that um, I still bring to work every day. That same level of urgency I had when I was a fourth grade teacher, when I saw that some kids were outperforming other kids, not because they didn't have different aptitude, but because they had different challenges and, and different needs. Yeah. Um, and I made it my life's work to try to level that so that all kids could reach their potential. And whether I was a classroom teacher, a school principal, 
assistant super, even when I taught college, yeah. it was the same goal. Like we got to make sure all of our students have an opportunity to, to reach their God-given potential. Yeah. And I can definitely vouch for those stripes. Um, the times I've had a chance to speak with you, it does feel like I'm talking to a teacher, like an yeah. actual teacher. And so that's yeah. amazing. So um, our podcast uh, on this show we tend to focus really deeply on experiences and needs of educators of color in the communities that we serve. So your comment about service is really important to us as well. Um, and it's it's pretty well known that the teaching profession is in the United States doesn't reflect the children who attend most of those schools. That right. um, the majority of the school population is kids of color, kids from um, working class communities, and the profession is not super diverse. Um, we saw that you that the Biden administration has made some investment into teacher training and preparation. So what, what are some ways that that you see this benefiting would be educators of color? And where is there still work to be done? There's a lot of work to be done. Yeah, let me tell you, though, I remember a story when when I was a student teaching, I was in a community that didn't have a lot of diversity. Um, so being a Latino student teacher there it was like exotic. You know, and um, <laughs> yep. I remember showing up one did day. You, did you student teach at the same place I student on it? <laughs> <laughs> I remember walking in one day with a guayabera. Oh, right? yes. yes. Yeah, so I had this young man, good kid. He goes, Mr. Cardona, why are you wearing a dentist shirt? And I said, <laughs> oh. all right, let me let me school you here. Oh, you're like, right. youngster. You know, but to me, wow, what an opportunity I had there to help that young man understand you know, the Guayabera and what, yeah. you know, you know, for me, it was like a badge of honor where Guayabera. Yep. And, um, you know, th it's those experiences that make this profession so special for teachers of color. Um, when I received, I, I got a master's in bilingual bicultural education. And I, and I knew there I had an opportunity to go become into a bilingual teacher, which would have been amazing. Yeah. But I chose to stay in the mainstream classroom wow. so that non-Latinos could see a Latino teacher, a Latino principal, you know, and that was a personal choice for me. Although I, I bilingual education, I was a, a principal in a school where we had bilingual teachers. Oh my goodness, I learned so much from them. I loved working with bilingual uh, educators and students. But yeah. my point is that we have uh, such an opportunity. And for those of you thinking about, well, do I want to go into this profession? Uh, the impact you have on all children, yeah. especially children of color that see someone that look like them and that experience life the way they did and having an impact, it's so special. The administration gets it. Uh, the president from day one recognized that we need to do better to diversify the profession. Uh, you know, with American Rescue Plan funds, making sure that we're creating pipeline programs with our budget, the budget, not just the American Rescue Plan funds, but our core budget, making sure that teacher preparation programs that support uh, diversity initiatives are, are highlighted. Um, and, you know, what I'm trying to do across the country is to say, if you have a pipeline program, um, where you serve diverse students, we should be thinking about teacher programs. We should be thinking about our diverse paraeducators who've committed to serving our students and right. want to be a part of that community. Yep. What are we doing to help them get degrees? Yeah. Um, we have diversity in front of us. That's our best resource. Yeah. So how are we utilizing new federal funds? How are we be thinking outside the box to work with two-year, four-year colleges to get our middle school, high school students excited about a career in and teaching and uh, making it easy, removing some of those obstacles so that they could start those programs in high school. And then when they're in college, go back to those same schools that serve them to serve as teachers and, and, and mentors to our students. Yeah. A couple of follow-ups on that. So when, when you say that it'll be, so you, you talked about the American Rescue Plan, which I think is really important. And you also said that, um, that there would be other funds that the administration would try to invest apart from the American Rescue Plan. So that would be stuff that would be um, continuous, that would be sustained mm -hmm. and right. not just for this right. specific situation. Right. right. Yeah, you know, the president's proposal, original proposal on the Build Back Better agenda had over $2 billion in teacher pipeline programs mm -hmm. um, and teacher professional development programs too, because I think what's happening post-pandemic, and I mean, you could probably speak to it better than I can, you know, a 15-minute workshop on uh, trauma-informed schools is not going to cut it. No, we need, facts. To, we need <laughs> to invest in really those working conditions that help our educators um, with the skills that they need to meet the changing needs of our students. Yeah. So in the budget, there are, you know, the proposal in particular, but now in the budget that we're moving forward, there are funds where we can support teacher uh, 
support development, professional development programs, but also those pipeline programs that I talked about before to make sure that it's not like the exception that we have good pipeline programs. Right. That should be pretty consistent throughout our country at this point. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's so that's important. Um, the the second piece. So you talked about barriers to teacher development, um, and we think a lot about barriers that face um, would be educators of color. What are some of the barriers that you all have identified that can be addressed through these new initiatives? Right. So you know, first of all, it's it's really important if we want to have uh, diverse uh, educators and diverse professionals we need to be serious about addressing achievement disparities in our schools. Um, you know, you can't have a good pipeline program if you don't have quality, uh, high quality instruction where students are reading at, by grade three, um, programs that are engaging for students so that by the time they get to high school, they have tremendous options, education being one of them. So a strong pre-K-12 program with high standards, um, high student engagement, um, where teachers are able to really use their craft to really connect uh, with students in a way that students feel engaged and want to be there, um, that's critically important. But also ensuring that we have pathways. By the time we get to high school, we should be able to provide students that are thinking about a career in teaching with dual enrollment programs, maybe, yeah. maybe where they can get some credits in high school so that college isn't that expensive. Yeah. And then also being, being real about college, making college more affordable. We have to do a better job in yeah, this country yeah, yeah, addressing yeah how college is a barrier for so many families. Yeah, I'll yeah. tell you, I remember a conversation I had when I was an assistant superintendent with a, a Dominican uh, father, great guy, good advocate for his kids. His son was in like sixth grade, seventh grade. And he, I remember having a conversation with him one day when we were in my office. We were just, you know, chopping it up about whatever, whatever the topic was. And he yeah. said, yeah, you know, my kid's not gonna go to college. I, I know how expensive it is. Yeah. And I knew his kid, he was a student of mine when I was a principal. And I thought to myself, are you kidding? Right. You're a young yep. man. You know, this boy is going to go on to do amazing things through higher education. And, yeah. and I really, we had to remove that obstacle that um, college is out of reach for so many of our students that look like us, right? Yeah. We have to do a better job across the country. And the federal government, we have a responsibility to do a better job making sure the return on investment in college is there. Yeah. That we're going after those colleges that are preying on our students who, who yes. want to follow the American dream. We got to do a better job with that. And we've done some. I mean, we've we've gotten real loans for students who are total and permanently disabled, over $7 billion. Yeah. But we got to do more. We, we got to do more to make sure that college is accessible and affordable for students who, you know, like me, was a first-generation college student who yeah. are breaking down barriers in their families. We got to do better for those students. Yeah, that's deep. Um, one of the things I think about too is when there's um, folks who want to go into teaching, some of the other barriers like uh, student teaching. A year of student teaching, yeah. unpaid, unpaid right, labor. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, are there, are there ideas in, yeah. have you developed ideas there to kind of ensure that what are, what are some of those um, ideas yeah. that are kind of coming you out? You know, during the pandemic, I was telling it, when I was a commissioner in Connecticut, I was uh, using the pandemic as an opportunity to think outside the box. Mm -hmm. And I was talking to college presidents and saying, listen, give me your juniors and your seniors. I need people in the classrooms. Um, so give me your juniors and your seniors. Uh, we can pay them substitute pay even for their first while they're learning and give them college credits so they could learn by doing. Set up your system at the higher education level where they're getting mentorship or they're taking classes after the school day but they need to get paid. That's why a lot of students of color don't want to go into the teaching. Yep, yeah, yep, that's precisely. exactly what they say. They're working for free, yeah. you know, as a student teacher, we we must do better. Yeah. We have a window right now with American Rescue Plan funds to think creatively. And then we should also be simultaneously talking to governors and legislatures about saying, listen, we need to make sure we're funding this uh, free teaching experience, right? Um, to make sure that our students can make ends meet because for a lot of our students, they don't have the money to do free labor for six hours a day yep. um, and take classes at night and not have any income. That's yeah. right. We need to think outside the box, but the pandemic gave us the reset button. Let's let's reset. That's let's really think outside the box now. Yeah. Did you have something yep. you were going to add there? No, I mean, I I just um, no, I I I just think that's really important, right? Um, and as a person who's worked with uh, teacher candidates, pre-service teachers. It's one of the things that I notice. It's a lack of teachers of color, right? And it's because of the burden of having to give up income 
and work for free. Yeah. But I think that that's really important. And, and um, you mentioned state funding. So like our next question, I think, relates to kind of state funding. And, and, and because I think the education system in the United States is very complex, right? Um, but in our state, as in others, the mental health of students is at a crisis level. This presents significant challenges to the work that teachers want to do with students. <clears throat> You've discussed the <laughs> centrality of this crisis. What are your thoughts in on ensuring that mental health support is equitably available to students of color, especially considering that states, uh, you know, the money comes to the states and the states make decisions about how it's going to be spent? Yeah. No, that, that's an important uh, question. You know, I'm talking to educators here, so you know what I'm saying. We need to start at the tier one level. Yeah. What ends up happening is we wait for the tier three level. That's yeah. right. And then we're putting scarlet letters on kids. Yeah, that's right. We're, we're, we're treating trauma with discipline. Mm -hmm. Man. So first and <laughs> okay. foremost, what we need to do is build our system's capacity at uh, providing professional learning opportunities for all educators on how to see signs of, of trauma and how to uh, support students um, with uh, adequate uh, professional uh, mental health services, um, but also structure your organization where you're looking at things from a more restorative way, uh, uh, you know, just building the skills of the yeah. students um, that are dealing with loss or trauma. Um, so when it comes to funding, right, you know, I've been saying for the last two years, follow the science for yeah. safety opening. Yeah. So yeah. the science that I was following was led by an epidemiologist, right? I became like tight with the Connecticut epidemiologist. We were boys by yeah. the end of the, yeah. you know, the first year of the pandemic because I needed to follow the science. Mm. I needed to have him guide me on school reopening because he was an infectious disease expert yeah. and we had an infectious disease going on. Right. So I needed to listen to him to make good decisions about reopening schools, right? Right. So now I don't have to tell you, I mean, this morning on the news, national news, anxiety in, in, in mental health needs of our students is skyrocketing. Yeah. Yep. Let's follow the science. Let's listen to our health experts that are telling us that if our systems are not built around holistic supports, around providing the mental health support, not only that our students, but that our adults need, then our system is going to be dysregulated. Yeah. So I, I think the, you know, for all of us, educators at all different positions, we need to be tight around the science behind mental health supports that our students need, the data that suggests that we're uh, in greater need than ever before um, with anxiety levels. You know, think about the just just our LGBTQ community that gets attacked yeah, left and yeah, right, yeah. The, the mental health needs that they have that had been increasing. And we need to make sure we follow the science as we reimagine what our schools could be. Yeah. Um, and then I go back to that tier one level. So making sure that all students have access to it um, and that it's clearly communicated with parents, but the advocacy for this doesn't stop. We have to work with our um, state leaders. We have to work with our public health experts to make sure that we're lifting up the needs of our students and using that to drive the push in policy uh, and programming in our schools. Um, continue to follow the science. I mean, one, one of the things that you'll hear from students and teachers alike is sometimes the pressure of standardized testing and that kind of accountability mm -hmm. adds to that. Is, is addressing standardized testing part of the conversation that you're in? Yeah, you know, and of course, you know, I was having a conversation today with um, a couple folks um, about the importance of using, especially today, using the data as a spotlight, not a hammer. You know, mm. the gaps were made worse over the last two years. Mm -hmm. And if we're sitting on, if a, a state is sitting on $100 million, they need to use those data to drive where the resources are going. But be careful not to misuse the data to start putting pointing fingers and saying this school's not doing their job. Quite yeah, frankly, yeah. some of the schools that have the greatest need have been feeding kids, dealing with more death in the community. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know what I'm I, saying? So I think sometimes the over-reliance or misuse of data yeah. can hurt the students that they're intending to help. Um, and it, I think sometimes an infatuation with standardized assessment leads to poor instruction, narrowed yep. curriculum, yep. and teachers who know what to do being hamstringed from getting yep. students what they really need right now. Yeah, that's such a great point. Yep. Like this yep. point about how the, the schools that struggle to perform 
on in academic ways are often supporting more of the yep. needs than the than the school. That this is a, that's a really powerful point. Let's drill that down right now, right? So let's uh, do it. Yeah. Two years ago, you know, July 2020, data came out. The pandemic um, mortality rate for Black and Latinos was higher. Yep. Yeah. More death in Black mm -hmm. and Brown communities. That's right? right. It was there. Those children were coming back to school, mm -hmm. having lost their family members at a higher rate. Yep. Are you telling me that those schools are not doubling down their efforts to meet the social emotional needs of the students? For real. And we're That's not real. measuring that, but it doesn't mean that those schools are not doing more yeah. Yeah. Um, to meet the needs of those students. So yeah. we have to be careful not to put all our eggs in that basket and, and to find measures or, or, or find ways to acknowledge those schools for meeting the basic needs of students, uh, especially yeah. at a time when they're going through crisis. Yeah, no, that that's oh man, that it's so refreshing to hear you say that, and I and I really hope that listeners are understanding that you know from your position as Secretary of Education, you're identifying all, all of these things, the mandates and the oh, yeah. and and the way that these things are carried out. Like we we actually have a bigger voice, and I think a lot of us have been have been taught to believe. Um, yeah. Do you have time for this other one? Yeah. All yeah, right. Cool. Yeah, yeah. All right. We're we're gonna we're gonna hit up this other one. He, he's he's gonna be teaching his students <laughs> soon. It's the realist. You may get to meet some of mine uh, yeah. as they walk in. So, um, so one question we've got um, in terms of funding, and you know, from your position in the federal government, what's one thing that you want district and building leaders to do in light of this renewed investment in education? And I think yeah. that there was there's anxiety among a lot of uh, school leaders that, okay, cool, we're getting these COVID dollars, but they're gonna run out. And now you're saying that we're actually going to have other ongoing funds that, that will be aside from the American Rescue Plan. Um, so our own uh, Dr. Alex Marrero, uh, who's our principal, our principal, our superintendent, <laughs> principal of the schools, I guess, <laughs> um, is looking for ways that he can elevate the profession. So appreciation, recognition, pay, yep. but feels that that he and other leaders around the country are having to do more with less. So is so will his concerns sort of be addressed by this reinvestment or are there things that he should know in order to be kind of building forward? And he, he wanted us to put his name on this question. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'll say this. For the last two years, my greatest fear was COVID. Yeah. For the next two years, my greatest fear is complacency. Mm. If we then stereo, <laughs> if we go back to how things were in March 2020, we failed our kids. Yep. The federal government did their part. 130 billion dollars. Okay, that's real that's money. money. That's a lot of money. I've been around for over 23 years in education. Never once have we had. I've always been taught to do more with less. Yeah. That's not the case right now. Right now, our kids are in great need. You have more money right now than ever before. Ever had before, period. With that said, the level of leadership that's needed now hasn't dissipated. Mm. The, the, the goals now is the federal government is putting in this. We need to make sure that we have adequate funding at the state level and at the local level to make sure that we can really seriously talk about incentivizing teachers to come to the profession. There's a reason why we're dealing with a shortage. We're asking yeah. teachers to do more Right. And we're they're not competitively paid in many places. That's right. Yeah. So what we need to do is make sure that uh, as states own the responsibility of educating, that they're lifting up the profession by paying a decent salary, good working conditions. So what that means is if I'm a fourth grade teacher, that there are enough psychologists, social workers, family support liaisons so that my students are being taken care of outside of my four walls as well. But also that teachers have voice in the process. So if we talk about competitive salary, good working conditions, and teacher voice in the leadership, I think teachers are going to want to be there. Yeah. So, you know, it, it does require federal involvement. But if you look at the pie chart, states yeah. have a big role in education funding. We cannot lose this moment to advocate for education funding in our states. And we have to make sure that it's competitive so that teachers want to stay in the profession. No, that's great. I mean, that, that looking at uh, leadership is such an important thing. And I think that um, that's just refreshing to hear. You like hearing that? I love, I love <laughs> right now. I will tell you just in all transparency, I'm part of uh, our association bargaining team. So we're sitting across from the district, yeah. you know, and, and we, we know we've heard, I've heard it from you that we have more money on the table than we ever had. And I've heard it from you that we should be prioritizing 
the things that we as educators have been talking about, the feedback from surveys, bargaining surveys that we have done, which say that we're looking for more compensation and to make sure that you know our time is managed in a way that's effective and that we are not overworked and that we can continue to attract more diverse teachers into the profession. So I really am thankful. And I buy my wife play this clip in a bargaining team meeting. Uh, you know, and, and I recognize that the funds with the American Rescue Plan have a, a, a expiration date, but I also realize that our kids are in the greatest need now. So we need to make sure that we're using that. It doesn't mean that we're absolved of uh, all of us collectively talking about the importance of a competitive pay for educators, yep. ensuring that they have the tools that they need to be successful in their jobs so that we prevent burnout um, or teachers leaving the profession at the rate that yep. they're leaving now. Yep. Um, you know, it, it's on all of us, right? Um, and not just at the bargaining table when we're looking at contracts, but when we're having conversations with state leaders. Yeah. I don't think there's a, a time, as long as I've been an educator, where we we see the value of schools right now because we knew what it was like when they were closed. Yeah. It, it ruined everything, right? It, yeah. it, 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 it hurt the whole community. It hurt um, the, the economy. So we need to make sure we're investing in our schools investing in our education system, giving students opportunity to learn at high levels, go on to higher education. Our country's uh, growth is dependent on it. So I think at all times, we need to make sure we're supporting education and our educators. That's great. We know we know you need to get going, but we have to do our most important segment. Critical question. This is, uh, so our last question is, who are your top five rappers? And this could be, Rap, but we also salsa, know you, merengue, reggaeton, house, etc. You're a Boricua, like you you're a Boricua brother. You can go wherever you want. It can be, it can be Proyecto Uno. It can be. Yeah, some, yeah. You know. Well, listen, I have Mark Anthony on a pedestal over here. Yes. Plus, you asked me five rappers. Okay. Biggie, Nas. Oh. Jadakiss. All right. Yo, you Easy E. All right. Oh. And then Lauren Hill. You can't leave her off the list. Man, that was the most assured and confident. That was a great list. Listen, comprehensive top. It five. was all a dream. We used to read Ed Week magazine. That's and, right. See? And then there we go. Wow. There we go. Brilliant. <laughs> well, Secretary Miguel Cardona, thank you so much for your time yes. today. This was an honor. We cannot wait yes. to get this episode out in front of the people. We have one way we like to wrap things up. Um, we will start saying our goodbyes and then all of us together will say stay dope. Does that sound good to you? All right, for our illustrious Secretary of Education, for your favorite teacher's favorite teacher, Kevin Adams, I am Gerardo Munoz, 2021 Colorado Teacher of the Year, and we hope you enjoyed this interview. We hope you enjoy your day, and we hope you feel encouraged, and we hope that you always stay, stay dope. dope. dope.